Welcome to Earth Matters, bringing you environment and social justice stories. Today's story was produced for Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, Nam, Wurundjeri country, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Beck Horridge. As the COVID-19 virus proliferates, humans watch in horror at how nature can disrupt and destroy our lives. While those with a place to live retreat to their homes, the most vulnerable have no home to go to. Today's guests are dedicated to improving the lives of the homeless. Dr Anne Solari, Doctor to the Homeless and Deacon at St John's Church, Brisbane. Jerry Gorgatis, Coordinator of the National Suicide Prevention and Trauma Recovery Project. And Lance Priestley from Sydney's 24-7 Street Kitchen and Safe Space Community and the Virtual Street Kitchen. I'm talking with Dr Anne Solari, who's a doctor and Anglican deacon in Brisbane. Anne, hi. Hi, Rebecca. You've got a lot of homeless people as clients and you're living at St John's Church in Brisbane. You actually have homeless people sleeping in the garden there? Yes, we have for a long while. It's one of the safer places in the city because we've got security cameras and we try and keep an eye on what's going on. Um, We also have rules like no drinking, no drug using, no smoking on site, which we know get broken, but we try and enforce it. So there is a little bit of control here. So yes, on a day-to-day basis, I interact with homeless people both at home and at work. With this virus threatening everybody and we're asked to stay at home, homeless people obviously have no home to go to. What's been happening in Brisbane? The first thing was anxiety and fear. And that obviously wasn't just homeless people. I've had numerous nights when I've woken up at two in the morning, just scared, wondering what's actually going to happen. And my patients and the people sleeping on our streets are exactly the same. They're worried. Their worry is exacerbated by the fact that they know with this social lockdown that they haven't got anywhere else to go. They actually break the rules all the time. They're out. They can't say they're exercising because they live on the streets. Um, They also tend to be worried because well over 85% of them have suffered abuse at some times in their lives. A lot of them as kids and young people are in jail. And the thought of being alone, being put in a room somewhere by themselves also brings on fear because they get flashbacks of the abuse they suffered in the past when they were isolated from people who made them feel safe. We've probably got about 600 people, rough sleepers around the general Brisbane area, a lot of whom live in the inner city suburbs. And over the last week or so, we've actually seen a lot of those become housed using government money and council money. They're actually moving into hotels and motels, which is great. Um, We know that's temporary. We don't know how long they'll be going there. We also know that our emergency hostels, the homeless shelters where a lot of them live, are actually being relocated to one of the local suburbs into Wong where there is a large hotel, hostel type accommodation that was being used by international students where all the rooms are single rooms with ensuite. In the shelters where they are, they share a lot of facilities. So they will be far safer out there. So 
for the first time for a long time, the outlook for homeless people in Brisbane is actually much better at this second. We don't know how long they're going to be in those hostels. We know people in the homeless shelters tend to be there for an average of about three months. And these days they tend only to move out if they've decided they've had enough or they're housed. It's the people who've gone from rough sleeping into the hotels and motels that we're actually worried about because nobody actually knows how long they're going to be in those places for. Some of the people believe they're only going to be there for two weeks. Other people have no idea. So if they've been there for two weeks, what is actually going to happen when that two weeks is up? Do they all just come straight back on the streets or is there something else in the pipeline? Now, that really worries us and it really worries them too until we actually find out what's going to happen. And obviously at this stage, with so much up in the air, nobody really knows what's going to happen. What do you think should happen, Anne? I think we should treat our homeless and our vulnerable people much better than we do. We live in a society where the normal new start job seeker payment is $275 a week. And we know that accommodation rents start at about $280 and go up from there. Even in our worst boarding houses, the weekly rents are $180. People actually can't afford reasonable accommodation when they're on single job seeker payments, single new start payments. We need to do something to give people a chance of getting off the streets, out of substandard accommodation, out of our boarding houses normally. This COVID-19 crisis just makes the situation worse because it's not just the long-term danger we're talking about, it's acute short-term danger for everybody. I think we actually should be looking at our social structure, what low-cost accommodation is available, how much we actually pay people on a week-to-week basis, how we look after people who have no options. Scott Morrison has said that after this crisis and threat has passed, there's going to be a snapback to how it was before. Do you think that'll happen? I can't see how it's not going to happen under the current regime. The current regime seems to favour middle and upper middle class and appears to be taking money off the poorer people to fund tax cuts and to maintain quality of life for people who've got adequate or more than adequate incomes. Recently, we've seen Pensioners lose their pensions. People who are trying to survive on New Start, having their New Start cut for very pathetic reasons at times. I've had patients who've been sitting in casualty and who've missed an appointment with their job network to find that when they leave the hospital, their money's been cut because they didn't attend that appointment. Wow. And this is the sort of problem my patients, other people's patients deal with on a day-to-day basis. People don't have the security of knowing that they will be paid under all eventualities. They know that the money they get isn't enough to live on. They are making real choices, whether they pay rent or whether they buy food. Do you think right now there are some people who are slipping through the cracks, like those who are not even registered with Centrelink? 
we know there are people who are um, slipping through the gaping holes rather than cracks. Uh-huh. We know that the New Zealanders are over here. We've got a significant number of those within the homeless sector. Those who arrived after 2001 aren't eligible for Centrelink, so they appear to not be eligible for coronavirus payments either. We've had these people living on our streets with no income until they can get jobs, and we now know that the number of jobs is dropping like an avalanche. We have refugees who the government has decided that they're not going to give any money to at all, who've been surviving on nothing and are being supported by the various agencies in our community. We now have the situation where the refugee agencies are having trouble keeping open because of the social distancing rules, social isolating problems with getting volunteers in because a lot of their volunteers are in the vulnerable groups who are being told to stay at home. So we're in contact with refugee families who don't know what they're going to do. We've also got backpackers who are over here, people on temporary visas who've been unable to get out of the country who don't know where they're going to get money from. So, yes, it's not just our normal homeless people. There's other vulnerable people out there too. Is there anything people who are listening can do to help? This is both a short-term and a long-term situation. For both situations, I think we all need to be politically aware of what's happening. We have to talk to other people. We have to make our politicians aware of the fact that we care what happens to vulnerable people. In the shorter term, it's realising that places that normally get donations of groceries, blankets... You know, things that homeless people, things, particularly things that people who can't afford to buy food to cook meals with need, they're not getting donations because we don't go out. We know that a lot of donations to various pantries and organisations that give out food come through churches and other religious places. Well, they've all been shut. So we know here at St John's, normally what happens is that every Sunday people come to church and bring groceries that we send to Holy Trinity Anglican Church where they have a pantry and give out food parcels. They now only have enough food to open one day a week because the food supply has gone down dramatically because all the churches that were supplying them are not allowed to have public worship, so they're not getting public donations of food. So I think we have to contact the places we've been giving to or find out where the places are that are giving food out and ask if they need help. It may be monetary help so that they can buy the food. It may be gifts of something. But I think we need to actually think, I was giving stuff to people. I'm not anymore. What can I do instead? Or I've got the ability to survive. Can I help people who haven't got the ability to survive? Who can I give some money or some groceries to? Mm-hmm. In the 2016 census, in Australia, about 116,000 people were identified as homeless. That includes people who are sleeping rough or in their cars and tents, people in homeless shelters, people couch surfing, which means temporarily staying with family or friends, and people in boarding houses. But there's another large group of people in that 116,000. Those are people who live in severely crowded dwellings, 
often with no control or access to space and privacy. And there's over 50,000 of those people in Australia. They're houses where 10, 12, 14 people may live. And we have to remember they're still out there. And when we're asking people to stay at home, for them, home may be a very unsafe place with coronavirus around. Because if it gets into those households, huge numbers of people are going to get infected. The other people we must remember is the people who live in homes that aren't safe. We've got a huge number of people who are victims of domestic violence. If you have to stay at home with a partner or a child who is violent, your life, your way of being is at risk. And we know that this crisis is actually going to increase the amount of problems with domestic violence in our community. Dr. Anne Solari, thank you so much for talking to Earth Matters. Thank you for listening to me, Rebecca. You're with Earth Matters, broadcast across stolen lands through the Community Radio Network. I'm Beck Horridge. And now, Jerry Gorgatis, coordinator of the National Suicide Prevention and Trauma Recovery Project, in conversation with Onya Nachina with thanks to the Transforming Perceptions show on 2XX 98.3 FM, Community Radio in Canberra. Thanks very much for joining me, Jerry. I really appreciate it and, and appreciate speaking to you today about homelessness in the COVID-19 paradigm. Thanks for having me on again and, uh, and much respect. And uh, it's about uh, all voices coming together as a multitude of voices. We've got to have these conversations, but we've got to also chase down following these conversations to translating the outcomes to hitting the ground. Mm, absolutely. Now, I understand you've written an article just recently in the uh, National Indigenous Times about the situation around homelessness in WA. How critical is it there? Homelessness is as critical uh, as it is anywhere throughout the continent. We, we do know that, you know, formally there's about 120,000 homeless individuals in some form of homelessness or another. And in, in my books and in the books of Homelessness uh, Australia and Homelessness New South Wales, uh, it's probably closer to 300,000 in some form of uh, homelessness. And there's about 140,000 uh, applications for public housing, rental, social housing, uh, which translates to hundreds of thousands of individuals. In terms of uh, street present homelessness, there's about 10 to 15,000, formerly 7 to 8,000, according to the census. And so in terms of Western Australia, there's about, uh, in the Perth region alone, about 1,000 street present individuals, uh, many of them children, and many of them uh, under the age of 12 years of age, which should be a shock to most uh, household Australians, that such as the circumstance in Australia that we've got young children toddlers and even babies born on the streets, which is a reality and a reality not known by most household Australians. But the fact is that Perth has about a 1,000 street-present homeless, and obviously Sydney has a, a dramatic visibility of street-present homelessness, Melbourne similarly so, Brisbane similarly so, and also uh, regions as uh, the Kimberley, uh, 12% of its uh, First Nations uh, population and uh, is actually uh, homeless in, the, in some form of homelessness and, and the majority of them in street-present uh, homelessness. And then you've got the Northern Territory where 6% of its whole population is in some form of homelessness. So this contagion is as dangerous and as toxic 
and is, uh, it can spread like wildfire, as they're saying. It makes no sense whatsoever that we've got a thousand strippers and homeless individuals with uh, no way of uh, isolating themselves, no way of uh, maintaining hygiene, no way of uh, looking after themselves in the first instance, and secondly, uh, uh, of uh, diminishing the spread of that virus. If um, the contagion is as true as is argued, and it beggars all sorts of disbelief that we haven't actually housed our homeless. Yeah, Jerry, this is it is a terrible situation. Could you please tell me, in terms of Perth, how many of those people who are living on the streets are a First Nations people, are Indigenous well, people? First Nations people comprise about thirty percent of the homeless of uh, street prisons in Perth and informally it's closer to 40% in the Perth the central area it's about 40% but uh, it's between 30 to 40% of all the street present homeless throughout the Perth and Pill region that thousand that I talked about who are First Nations so there's a disproportionate impact many fold. Mm. And what about people from multicultural backgrounds Jerry? So the migrant born are actually one in three of all Australia's homeless and one in four of all Australia's homeless are First Nations it's quite something without the COVID-19 crisis, which you've mentioned. These issues are astronomical numbers. But with the COVID-19 crisis, it's even a worse situation, isn't it? Because the services that were there to support people are now well, having to withdraw from the streets pretty much in well, order have- to protect the workers that have worked and volunteers that work in those services. So uh, a homeless drop-in centre was opened in February in Perth to actually uh, have people drop into a central point as a reference point for, you know, uh, three meals a day and and other supports and services to turn up and particularly the health services to support them where can. That uh, homelessness centre in Moore Street in East Perth has shut down as of a couple of weeks ago for the very reasons that you actually described, the fear of contagion. But our services, some do continue to outreach. Our service continues to outreach. We continue to outreach with uh, all the practical supports, food and, uh, and psychosocial support and uh, uh, essentials and medications and the like. But remember, the homeless actually have various comorbidities, various ailments. And uh, 30% of Perth's homeless, uh, all the research shows that at least 30% and, up and higher for First Nations people than about 50 to 60% have uh, respiratory illnesses uh, in terms of their comorbidity, have severe respiratory illnesses uh, mm. that make them quite uh, vulnerable to all sorts of conditions and can exacerbate uh, other conditions. They have Many of them actually have multiple issues, not mm. just uh, one issue. Uh, whether it's diabetes, renal disease, uh, respiratory failure, pulmonary failures or whatever, right? heart disease and the like. Mm-hmm. And then there's the uh, combinatory allied issues of mental health issues and disordered thinking and the like or whatever. And you've got people who, who are left stranded on their own and incapable of supporting themselves with primary, secondary and allied health care because there's no accessibility with it, even at the best of times with whatever outreach and services at, at hand are there for the homeless. And then when those very services for the majority are diminished to almost negligible, then we've just, uh, it's Lord of the Flies, we've just let people on their own without any recourse, just wandering the streets. And, and uh, I do the streets often at night, so it's breaking my heart what I'm seeing at the moment in these barren streets, but the homeless pushing trolleys, carrying knapsacks 
and large bags over their shoulders, scenes that you've if only we've seen in images of the 1920s, 30s, uh, the type existence, mm. wandering the streets uh, on their own and in now more barren circumstance than ever before because of the lockdowns. Jerry Gorgatis, coordinator of the National Suicide Prevention and Trauma Recovery Project, in conversation with Onya Nachina. Here's a few comments from Lance Priestley from Sydney's 24-7 Street Kitchen and Safe Space Community, which is still doing a steady 120 to 150 meals a day to rough sleepers and struggling tenants and families. Moving back to Sydney, you know, there are quite a few other people who are, uh, one reason or another, uh, not either not entitled or they've... Uh, they've had their Centrelink benefits suspended. Now, those people who have their benefits suspended aren't ha- suddenly having their benefits reinstated, you know? Outrageous. And and, um, and some of those, you know, some of those people have had to move out of their accommodation even before COVID-19. We know that. That's a, co- that's a common experience. Mm. Um, but they've still got to wait. Uh, the month or two months or whatever it is until their Centrelink before they come become eligible for this um, homelessness package. So you must be meeting some people who are really quite terrified. Uh, look, that's every day of the week. That's COVID nineteen or no COVID. Yeah, you know, it's mm. it's been happening since July last year. Yeah, since July last year with the changes to the Centrelink rules that came in last year. Every week, we see a whole lot of new people, a whole lot of new people that we've never seen before. Yeah, maybe 20% of the people that we deal with on the streets, we've never dealt with before. And they, they're coming to us because they go to the standard agencies, oh, you're not getting Centrelink, we're not interested. Yeah? Now, one of the beautiful things about this COVID-19 lockdown Mm. is that it's put people in a position where they've actually got time to think mm. if they want to think. And, you know, I'm really concerned because I see all, all these people who ordinarily are quite sensible having nothing better to do with their lives than post these silly silly memes and all that as, uh, as an indi- indicator of how they're spending their lockdown time. Yeah, I think we need to be spending that a lot more uh, contemplatively and um, and looking at the better world we know is possible coming out the end of this COVID-19 thing, you know, because capitalism mm-hmm. at the end of COVID-19, well, you know, capitalism are leveraging opportunities now and they're looking to consolidate and grow those opportunities mm-hmm. At the end of COVID nineteen, they 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 play that game really well, right? We should be looking at how we come out of it in a way that um, doesn't necessarily uh, well certain uh, that enhances society or enhances community, you know, rather than uh, rather than fitting in blindly led by the capitalist way. That's right. And I might add, and it enhances ecology. Yeah, exactly. I've been so enjoying the quietness. Can mm-hmm. I ask you a question? Yeah. People listening to the show around the country, Yeah. what can they do? 
how can they assist? If people want to assist, give us a uh, give us a call. My number is oh four six oh four one oh three double five. And you know there are a multiplicity of ways that people can assist. But in short, if you see a homeless person, or if you if you know of someone that's in trouble for food mm. in their home or on the streets, mm. ring that number, right? And we'll get food to them within the uh, within the within the next hour or so. Well, anywhere in Australia or just for Sydney? Um, it look it has to, it, it's no no it's any any major metropolitan area there are some regionals we can do as well because we're largely leveraging the um, we're largely leveraging the food delivery services for this okay like the um, uh, the pizza deliveries the the mini logs what have you yeah right on. And um, we're yeah. In a in a nutshell, we ask people to pay for a meal for a family or a meal for a homeless person. We give them a choice of what they're going to pay for. And you know, our guarantee with everything we do, right across our platforms, is transparency. Mm-hmm. You don't pay us; you pay whoever you're getting the stuff off. And in this case, you're you're paying the food provider direct, mm-hmm. right? So a hundred percent of what people contribute contribute is going 100% to where they decide it goes. Yeah, that's that's the whole basis of what we do. That's Lance Priestley from Sydney's 24-7 Street Kitchen and Safe Space Community. And now, a virtual street kitchen. Check it out on Facebook. Homelessness is structural. It's ingrained as a seemingly normal, ongoing part of our economic and social system. The government has no overall plan for the homeless and just accepts that some people will be left out. Surely this isn't the way things have to be. What visions do you have for a better organised society where everyone has a roof over their head, a full belly and sense of community? You have been listening to Earth Matters. This edition was produced for Radio 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, Wurundjeri country, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. If you'd like to get in touch with the Earth Matters team, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook on Earth Matters 3CR Radio. And to listen to or to share editions of Earth Matters, you can find this and all the Earth Matters podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. Look out for more from the Earth Matters team next week. I'm Beck Horridge. Come Along, Another Day in Paradise by Phil Collins.